You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So I don't know exactly how many prospects, if any, we'll get to. Probably we'll be able to get to plenty. I don't know. But um, now that the draft week has begun, um, I wanted to at least make sure we took one opportunity to kind of just go through real quick and do an NFL draft rumors roundup. What's going on out there in the world? Got a bunch of different sites out there that I love to frequent that I have barely even been touching because I've been spending all my days looking at draft prospects. So I actually want to start off with uh, one of the OGs of uh, the draft community. Doesn't get as much love anymore, but make no mistake about it. Before there was Matt Miller and all the PFF crew and everybody else, there was Walter Cherapinski. He's kind of looked down upon by the NFL draft community, but um, Interestingly enough, I think a lot of the, especially news and notes and uh, rumors and all that, reports, by the way, insider reports, um, they have a higher hit rate than a lot of these other guys out there. So anyways, I do want to start there. Um, Not going to go through all of them, but any of them that are relevant either to obviously the NFC North, the Jets, or maybe just some of the prospects we've been talking about. Whatever, anything that sounds interesting. So first of all, before we even get into this, because I see this note sitting here, it has come to my attention, which is part of the reason I want to do this, because things have gotten so far away from me that I am stunned to find out this information, and I feel like I shouldn't have been blindsided by this. I should have seen this coming. But Will Levis is now the, uh, by far, the consensus number two, or the the consensus to go number two overall. And... Um, Essentially, it's pretty straightforward with why they're saying that. They, they're confident they know who's going number one, so they rule that person out as the number two. What's shocking is that, let's assume it's Bryce Young, because that is who I think is going number one. What would be shocking is that Will Levis would go number two, and the only reason I would assume that isn't, isn't, doesn't have anything to do with anybody really genuinely believing that Will Levis is better than C.J. Stroud. It has to do with inside information that the team that's sitting at number two really wants Will Levis. But anyways... Um, one of the things that continues to be brought up, um, not so much a rumor as it is trying to establish where we're at with the draft and whatnot, um, but we'll go with this. This is via Tony Pauline. I mean, it's, it's, so I'm over on um, Walter Football, but it's a, it's a, they're accumulating different rumors from different people. Anyways, the Eagles should be more open to selecting Bijan Robinson after re-signing Jalen Hurts, Tony Pauline Pro Football Folk uh, Network. This has been a recurring theme for quite a while, the Eagles drafting Bijan Robinson. Now, there was a really weird thing that cropped up about Derrick Henry going to the Eagles. It was really weird because some nobody said it, and then some more prominent people started popping up and being like, oh, dang. But anyways, 
I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen. I see Pro Football Talk already put out an article saying this is not going to happen. And so definitely keep an eye out for Bijan Robinson going to the Eagles. Uh, the Raiders apparently, via Tony Pauline again, have Hendon Hooker as the number three quarterback on their board. Now, as I've already said, I tend to sort of agree. And the only reason I say sort of is because all things being equal, if you took away, for example, the age, I would be in complete agreement. There is a question about a 25-year-old developmental quarterback, but I do tend to like Hendon Hooker more so than uh, Will Levis and Anthony Richardson. With the full acknowledgement that both of those guys have incredibly high ceilings, especially Anthony Richardson. You know, I mean, if hey, if Will Levis becomes uh, the Buffalo Bills guy, whatever, strong arm. I saw he, he did the uh, the classic on his knees from 50 yards out between the uh, the basically threw it between the crossbars. Got to show off that arm strength last minute. Maybe that's why he jumped up to number two because of that stupid video. Via Charlie Campbell of WalterFootball.com. The Cardinals love Tyree Wilson and would be willing to draft him third overall. Personally, I think that's stupid. I like Tyree Wilson. I don't love Tyree Wilson. But it does kind of highlight the tough spot that teams in that range are looking at. He goes on to say, this is even above Will Anderson. Arizona would like to trade down, but it sounds like Wilson is going to be earlier than people think. Of course they'd like to trade down, because they don't want to take Tyree Wilson in that spot. This reminds me a lot of, um, I think it was, who was it, Mike Williams maybe? Can't exactly remember who it was, but there was a team that was just stuck. And they liked the receiver that they got, but not nearly as much as, you know, in the spot that they got him. They tried desperately to trade back. Nobody was willing to go into that spot because that spot sucked. And so they just sat there and took a guy way too early. It was at like pick 11, you know, somewhere between like 9 and 12 or something like that. I can't remember exactly where the spot was. Sort of in that early-ish range. But I feel like that's the top of the draft. I mean, don't get me wrong. If you get number one overall and you like the quarterback, there's nothing really to be mad about. Same with, you know, if you take Stroud at two or whatever. But after that, I know the, the, the hype for Will Anderson has continued to go through the roof in terms of whatever from the media, but you, then you read stuff like this, and it's like, eh, I don't know that that's the case. And my own two eyes tell me that's not the case. Will Anderson is a guy that you'd love to grab, you know, in the, in the mid-first round, maybe like, you know, 9-10-ish or something. Like, he'd be like the first of the not-actually-elite edge rushers. Again, Tyree is just, I mean, he feels like a mid-to-late-first-round guy to me. So much projection in this draft class. There's, there's a ton of guys that have really low floors and really high ceilings. That feels like everybody, including Will Anderson. I mean, I, I, could, I could get there where it could possibly happen, of course. But most guys at that height don't have such low floors. But, but you know, it, it, it highlights a couple different things. Number one, the idea that there are these actually elite prospects. The, the fact that Tyree Wilson, who's been occasionally talked about in the 20s, is also being talked about at three, above the actual top two, quote-unquote, top two defensive players, Georgia defensive tackle and, and Alabama edge rusher. Like, they're the most elite things in the world, but also maybe Tyree Wilson's better. Come on now, let's just stop saying stupid stuff. These guys are not actually that good. Even, even without Jalen Carter's red flags, I just, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just wrong about it. I just, I don't, I don't know. Anyways, rumor about the Denver Broncos from Sarah Bettinger from Locked On Broncos. The Broncos seem extremely interested in Rasheed Rice. Now, this is either a completely wildly useless report or it's not. Here's what I mean. Seattle or Denver doesn't have 
a first-round pick at pick 5 because they gave it to Seattle. They also don't have a second-round pick because they gave it to Seattle. Their first actual pick is pick 67. So my assumption is that Rasheed Rice would end up being a second-round pick. Now, they do have two third-round picks. Maybe they could trade back in if they're actually that desperate, despite the fact that they don't actually really need wide receivers. But my question is, is this just a completely useless bit of information insofar as they like him, but so what? Right? They like Bryce Young too, but again, don't think he's going to make it to 67. Or is this them essentially saying he probably could be within range, and if he is, there's a good chance that they could take him again, despite not really needing wide receiver. And again, on top of that, this being their first actual pick being in the third round. A couple other rumors that are very interesting probably won't materialize, but if it does, it's going to make draft day much more exciting. Number one pick has already been traded. The Texans have declared that they're willing to trade number two. Now that may be just them keeping their options open. I don't see the benefit of them saying, nope, we're staying put. We know exactly who we want. But on top of that, apparently the third pick um, has received calls from six teams, is the rumor. Six teams have called the Arizona Cardinals. Now, we just heard how they have some interest in trading back. So it sounds like, depending on compensation, when you have that much action, there's probably going to be some kind of an agreement on compensation. It sounds to me, unless the reports are complete garbage, that that pick's getting moved. If they don't really want to sit there, and there are six different teams that really want to come up. Now, it may depend who's there. It, it may be a team who's, you know, maybe really wants C.J. Stroud thinking, hey, maybe this dude's actually going to fall, and if he does, I want to make sure that I've got my slot, you know, ready to rock and roll. And then he doesn't make it, and suddenly nobody cares anymore. But it goes on to say, we can assume the Titans are one of them. Guesses for the other five are Colts, Falcons, Patriots, Buccaneers, and Vikings. Dirty, dirty bastards. I'll tell you what, though. I actually would doubt that it's the Vikings. It may be if they're really liking a quarterback or, or something, but the Vikings are, their GM is a big analytics guy. And, I mean, I'm talking big-time analytics guy. When he traded back multiple times last year, that wasn't an accident. That's his philosophy. It would go against everything the data community community has ever contributed to the NFL draft if he traded up to three for a player. Um, everything about overvaluing your own evaluation abilities over and above what empirical data has told us. In other words, I understand that you think you know that this is the quarterback of the future, but the data says that there's a better chance that you're wrong and that you should move back and accumulate picks and et cetera, et cetera. So those are guesses. I would actually refute the Vikings one, I'm guessing. That's not one of them, unless it's just calling about compensation, doing due diligence, which every team should be doing anyways. Additional rumors, this one came from Peter King a little while ago, but it's about the Texans again. The Texans could pass on a quarterback at number two. So again, it's it's super weird because we don't really have anything nailed down. And I'm sure this is what the, the, the draft community, the draft industrial complex, if you will, sort of wants is for this to be exciting. And it's not exciting when everybody knows what's happening. I keep citing, you know, whatever it was, four or five years ago when we had a draft and almost every single pick was as it was expected. Almost down to the line. And there was a little bit of like, oh, but maybe it could... Oh, no, no, it's kind of that thing that everybody said it was going to be. And so to have a draft like this, where almost nothing is set in stone, is kind of shocking. To have number one, where we know they want a quarterback, but we don't know even who that would be. Again, I, I 
I lean very heavily to Bryce Young, but don't know what's going to happen at one. They're going to stay and pick a quarterback, but we don't know who. Number two, we assume they're going to stay and pick the next best quarterback between Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, but it could be one of the other two quarterbacks, or they could pass on a quarterback, or they could trade the spot. Number three, sounds like there could, would, should be a trade, but who knows? Maybe they'll take Will Anderson, or maybe they'll take uh, Tyree Wilson, or maybe, you know, (laughs) especially with such a wild class. Is Anthony Richardson going to go top five, or is he going to slip out of the first round? Probably not the latter, but probably not the prior, which I don't know. I don't know, but maybe. Same with Will Levis. Is he going to be the number two guy, or is he going to slip out of the first round? Not saying those are the only two options. You get it. Anyways, as usual, there are not a ton of Packers rumors. There never are from year to year. Uh, the only rumor comes from March 8th. This is via Justice Muscada. Jalen Hyatt is held in very high regard by numerous Packers scouts. It was noted that the Packers feel the same way about Hyatt as they did about Chris Olave last year. So we shall see. Tony Pauline also mentions here that, that uh, many of the teams, at least more than one, that want to move up to number three, are targeting an offensive tackle. Now, this sort of is in line with what we talked about the other day when I had mentioned on Bob McGinn's article that he said that this is one of the worst tackle classes they've ever seen in terms of depth, meaning grab one early if you need one. Personally, I wouldn't really mind this. Any sort of irrational runs work to our benefit so long as we don't participate in it. Now, whoever they take at three is obviously somebody that we would have been willing to take, so that doesn't necessarily work to our benefit. What does work to our benefit is that if Skaronsky goes at three, then you're going to see Darnell Wright and Paris Johnson and all the other guys and, and probably one or two other tackles that shouldn't be gone before 15 that will be gone. Now, that means we're SOL when it comes to tackle, but oh well. Take what the draft gives you. Don't go chasing guys. Certainly don't be overpaying for anybody. Whoever's trading up to three for a tackle is doing stupid things. And that works to our benefit, and the Cardinals for that matter. Some more Pauline stuff. Uh, Jalen Carter, big questions about him. I'm not even positive he doesn't make it to 15. According to Tony Pauline, though, he will not pick it, take it past, he will not get past pick five. That's not necessarily him saying it, but he says that is the prevailing thought around the league. He will not get past Seattle at five. Again, I don't super mind that. It's not massive. If Jalen Carter does fall past us, then it's just another guy that we're probably not going to take. And so it would be better if he goes beforehand because everybody that we don't want or are not going to take going before us pushes somebody that we do want back to us. Or if we happen to trade back, it just gives us more ammo later on. Um, There's also been a a ton of buzz about this supposed uh, S2 test score. It's actually kind of cool. It's it's a cognition test. It's it's meant to um, show processing ability. I think for most... NFL players, that is a massive test, much more so than your vertical jump or anything else, your ability to process. I talk about that constantly when I talk about, for example, running backs. Things come at you so fast, your ability to see it, recognize it, process it, and then, you know, send those signals to your legs to be able to say, hey, move this direction, and then to be able to have the physical abilities to be able to cut. And that, that, that was, again, that was my whole thing with, uh, uh, you want to say Christian Watson, Christian McCaffrey. The processing speed tied to his elite joystick-like movements was what made my jaw drop. But obviously, it's going to be a big thing for quarterbacks, too. Processing speed is your ability to see things, understand it, and react to it. I remember there was a, 
one of these science shows not too long ago. You probably saw it. It was kind of a big deal at the time. But they brought together, these scientists came together and tested different martial artists. And so they would measure everybody's punch. And obviously, I shouldn't say obviously, but the boxer had the strongest punch because that's, you know, what they've trained. And I don't remember which one it was, but I think most fighters, for example, have really high processing rates. It was something to the effect of like, a, you know, one of those things where a light goes on and you react to it, but it was unbelievably through the roof higher than your average human being. Now it's chicken or the egg. Is it because they train for it that they are at that level or is it because they're at, or is it they're at that level because they have that natural processing ability? I don't know. It's what makes them as good as they are. But the point is, I think it's an unbelievably valuable test. If you could only give me one piece of data about a quarterback, and it was assuming, you know, the, the validity of the test, because, you know, 40 time is, is what it is. You know, and you can take the, the uh, 10 yard and 20 yard and the explosion metrics and try to come up with an overall speed and burst type score, or however you want to handle that. But the numbers are the numbers. This is sort of a little bit more subjective in terms of what do you do with the data? What does it all mean? But anyways... This has been a big deal, and a lot of people have come out and said, no, this is BS, the leaks are fake, and all this stuff. But supposedly, Bryce Young posted a 98 out of 99 on the S2 cognition test. Young's score is higher than that of Justin Fields, Josh Allen, and Joe Burrow. Now, this comes from NFL Rookie Watch, which I think is a notoriously fake uh, thing. I don't know. But Tony Pauline commented on it. He went on to say, the S2 test score is why the Panthers moved away from Stroud and embraced Young. It's also why the Texans are not a lock to take Stroud at two. A lot of info during the show, he says. Because going on with his tweet, it says, um, Will Levis put up a 93 out of 99 on the same test, similar to that of Pat Mahomes and Josh Allen. Anthony Richardson scored brilliantly on the test, while an exact score has not been revealed. C.J. Stroud reportedly scored relatively low compared to that of other top quarterbacks. And again, the reason why something like this is is incredibly valuable, you know, when I looked at, um, I think it was Hayner, maybe it was the other guy, I don't know, but it's, it's a, uh, it, it was the other guy. He plays for an air raid system. And so the, the, one of the flags could potentially be, because some of the times the system will hide some of your flaws. And in that case, you're talking about a lot of short to intermediate passes. So I wanted to verify that he could do the deep passing. And again, I did. What if, for example, Ohio State has a system, well, first of all, that regularly produces quarterbacks that play at a high level in college and bust out in the pros. And maybe part of that reason is because the system simplifies things enough for quarterbacks. I'm not saying this is the case. I'm just saying what if, or, or the, the wide receivers are so good. Offensive line protects them so well. You pick and choose however many of these things you want to apply. But the bottom line is I'm concerned that when he gets into the NFL, he's not going to do quite as well. When you suddenly have to get to that next level and perform at a higher level, and I don't want another Ohio State bust, you do a cognition test to see if he can process at a high level and he can't do it, I don't want to touch him. Because what do they say about the NFL? What, what does every rookie say after they've been playing in the NFL and you ask them, like, what's the difference? It's so much faster, is what everybody says. This might be the most important test for a quarterback. Not the only test, right? You can have a high processor and, and just be garbage with your accuracy or just straight up decision making. Like, I see it, but I'm making the wrong decision, right? It's like having a fast car and knowing how to drive. There's still two different things. But there is still a limiter on your brain that, that is going to say, how quickly does this brain actually see information, process information, and then output a result? And if you can't do it, 
then you can't do it. I mean, this is not a thing. I mean, it's, it's like having four, seven speed as a wide receiver. Like you can't fix that. That is a hard barrier limitation. You know, it's like being a five, seven corner. Like I love you, dude, but it ain't going to work. Now that certainly isn't to say he's going to go undrafted, but if, if you're a team looking at this, you may want to just not go in that direction. And so then again, you put all the pieces together. Bryce Young has much more firmly been the guy at number one. Will Levis has become very firmly the guy at number two. Also, there's a lot of talk about about, about pick two, not a lot of talk, but pick two potentially being traded. Teams trying to move up, for example, to pick three. That could be about several things. Maybe a lot of teams are freaking out saying these guys are seriously going to pass on CJ Stroud. I'm coming up and taking him. I can't believe he's going to be available. So I, I, I don't know. But it's some pretty wild and crazy stuff going on as, as far as this. And again, I, I think, and the, the S2 thing, which I never heard of until, I don't know, a month ago or whenever when all this stuff started, very controversial. A lot of people saying this is all fake, but it's a, it, it sounds to me, depending on you know how, how good of a test it is, which doesn't sound like it would be that hard to apply, but I would want to use this for a lot of positions. Some maybe aren't as big of a deal, but you know, cornerbacks, running backs, safeties, linebackers, 100%. I want my linebackers and my safeties, my corners. It's all read and react. Said a thousand times about, about processing speed being the most important kind of speed for linebackers. This is a processing speed test. By the way, um, and again, a lot of this is, is verified but unverified. This, um, some people are taking, be, because it's so iffy, some people like NFL Rums probably run with it and, and pretend that they have more information because who's going to fact check them? It's all fake anyways, or, or behind hidden doors or whatever. But anyways, it goes on to say that he scored an 18% on the S2 cognition test. Barstool Sports has a graphic up. 98% for Bryce Young, 96 for Jake Hayner, 93 for Will, Le- Will Levis, 93 for Jaron Hall, Clayton Toon, 84%, Anthony Richardson, 79%, Hendon Hooker, 46%, CJ Stroud, 18%. And their whole thing says, Wonderlick is out, S2 Cognition is in. And really, I don't think that that's the case. Now, again, we can debate the validity of these two things, but I think they should work in conjunction because they're two different things. One is processing speed, and one is general intelligence. I think if you have high processing speed and high intelligence, those are two very important components. Unbelievably important components. Here is what um, Bob McGinn said over at Go Long a little while ago. First of all, here, here is what it says about how it works. According to S2, the 30- to 45-minute exercises conducted on what the athletics Matt Barrows in February described as a specially designed gaming laptop and response pad that can record reactions in two milliseconds. It measures how players process and make split-second decisions. Anticipating, reading, reacting, and adapting to the game are measurable skills the website offers. And again, yeah, it is measurable. Why would you not want to measure that? It seems... So obvious and unbelievably valuable. But here's what it also goes on to say. The S2 people will say, hey, guys that grade high on the test don't always play well. One club executive said, but we've never had someone grade low and play well. So again, you look at it and say, Hendon Hooker, 46%, CJ Stroud, 18%. If the, if the, the, there's a lot of questions here because, I'm, again, the S2 thing is new to me. If all 32 teams acknowledge the validity of the S2 cognition test and they all agree that I've never had somebody grade low and play well, how bad is this going to get? According to the McGinn piece, anything at 80% or higher is considered good. So even though Anthony Richardson is by far the least experienced starter of the top flight quarterback prospects, he's right on that line. But again, when you've got a guy, first of all, again, Ohio State, 
say no more. But if you also evaluate him as a guy that's kind of just playing within a system, you could maybe go on to say that he is um, being propped up by a system, and that's somewhat of a concern to you, and then you see this, no way. But at the same time, I mean, how absurd does it feel that, um, I don't know, for example, he falls out of the top five? Let me ask you this. If he gets to 15, are we going to take him? Or are the Packers taking him off their board? Like, what, 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 what does this mean? And then let's take it a step further. Let's say most people shrug and go, okay, it's kind of serious. Like, he doesn't go at two. He falls to six or something random, and, and somebody takes him, or somebody trades up and takes him. Okay. What if he completely busts out? And then Hendon Hooker at like 46% also pretty much busts out, which you don't want to talk about red flags. He's got a 46, I think it was, S2 score, and he's 25, which the data says that 25-year-olds coming into the NFL, not the greatest thing in the world. So you keep running into the fire, you keep getting burned. What happens next year when a guy ends up with a, a, a 12 or a 20 S2 score? Are you going to take him? Is he going to fall? How far is he going to fall? At what point do these guys just get completely taken off boards despite their hype? If it is true, let's just say nobody before uh, that's ever scored below a 40 has ever been anything good ever. What do you do with a guy at a 20? What if you had him as your number one guy and he's like the next Trevor Lawrence or something? I'm just, I don't know, just an interesting thought experiment. I have a feeling most teams are of the mind that they always think that their scouting abilities are supreme and will always trust that this person will be the exception to the rule. And then eventually there will be an exception to the rule, and it's just going to screw everybody up. But i tell you what we need to do, because I want this S2 stuff to be public information, like going forward. Like, I want this to be like a freaking event. These guys sit down at a little video game and play it, and then the score pops up at the end, like, oh, dang. It's not going to happen as it currently is, because people like what's-his-nuts over at Barstool, whoever posted that, are comparing it to an intelligence test. As long as we do that, we're never going to get the information. So we need to stop calling it an intelligence test and call it something like a reaction time test. Because if it's a timed event, like a 40 time, there's a chance. But I'm guessing either way it's not because it ends up being a mental test. And everybody gets real touchy about mental tests because apparently being short, being fat, being slow, it's fine judging people that way. But judging people based on intelligence is taking it a bit too far, I guess. So we, we, but I want the freaking scores. I want to know it. It's, it's ridiculously valuable. It's way better than a 40 time. And I like 40 times. It's fun information. Knowing that if he gets on a breakaway, he could be gone. Like, that's cool. Can't catch him. Ha 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 ha. He suck. Like, what's Jordan Love? Where, where's Jordan Love at? Dude, if he's a 15, that sucks. What if he's a 98, though? I don't know. Anyways, Tony Pauline added Tanner McKee, Aiden O'Connell also tested incredibly well. Jaron Hall also tested well. If they didn't do the test then, because I don't know when this thing came out, how do you go about talking to your quarterback about that? Like, hey, buddy, how you doing, man? Hey, you play video games? Yeah. I don't know. It's cool. Like, I'm not judging you or anything. I get it. Not going to put anything in your contract. Not yet. Um, what games do you play? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, it's not what we're talking. We'll talk about that later. I got a game for you, dude. Yeah, why don't you take it home, play it for like 35, 45 minutes or something? Please don't stop. Please try as hard as you possibly can. Please, Lord, try really hard. And, um, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about Call of Duty after, after you get done, okay? Great. I feel like there is no going back. There's, there's no, like, dude, we have complete trust in you. We, we know you're great. We do want to just verify a couple things, though, real quick. Anyways, I really wanted to do this just for half the show and then 
do uh, some prospects, but maybe we'll just make it the whole show because there's quite a bit to cover yet. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit more about this. I, I, I know the, the quarterback thing is not the most important thing, especially early on, but I, I do find it to be extremely interesting because we're in such a weird situation right now with, again, Levis, as I started the show saying, being projected as the number two. Here are two paragraphs from an article from The Athletic. It says, What's more, Levis accomplished all of that in a pro-style offense that Cohen brought from Sean McVay's Rams. While so many college offenses rely on tempo and short play calls from sideline poster boards, Levis's play calls in the huddle were 15-20 words, and he went to the line with three checks on every play. Those are all things we asked him to do that we also asked Matt Stafford to do, Cohen said, that every NFL coordinator asked their quarterback to do. These are all things that are going to be factored in. Because when you look at, whether it be C.J. Stroud or, or anybody else, a lot of these quarterbacks that don't play this way, it's not necessarily a knock as much as it is just a question mark. And that question's been answered with Will Levis. It's not a uh, potential concern. The way he plays may be, but if you like the way that he plays and you know that this is not going to be a problem with him being able to pick up a playbook and be able to, because he already has the playbook, talking about a guy being able to step in and play day one, Levis has that. So again... But I'll tell you what, why don't we do this? We'll take a break. We've got a couple of the McGinn articles to get through covering different positions. If there's time, we'll do a prospect or two. But why don't we take a break here? Patreon.com forward slash back underscore daddy, et cetera, et cetera. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. All right, so we've covered the first two of these articles. It was wide receiver tight end, and then it was offensive line. Um, after that, you get part three, which is quarterback, and that's where a lot of this S2 stuff came from. So we have covered a decent amount of this, but I still want to go through it, cover some of the de uh, details and information that's going on. One of the things in the article that we didn't necessarily cover, but it, it shows on the S2 website that you can go see for yourself, um, kind of a breakdown of how it works. They, they use Joe Burrow as an example. I'm sure they got his permission because he freaking rocked it. 
but it says uh, he was number one pick in 2020. His total score was a 97. It was broke down into four sections, 94% on visual learning, 97% on instinctive learning, 97% on impulse control, 93% in improvisation. So those are apparently the four different categories. It sounds like a lot of these different numbers came from different sources. So the 18 for Stroud, which again, a lot of people are saying is not true, apparently came from an executive. So this is somebody that McGinn has talked to that got the information, obviously. The information for Hayner came because he apparently visited with uh, the 49ers, and while he was there, he talked to a reporter, told people that he actually was told that he did very, very well. And the benchmark apparently is 80. So it would be sort of like PFF 60, I guess. So 80 is like, all right, he's fine, no problem. Above 80, you're getting into good to great territory. But again, you, you got Anthony Richardson is slightly below, but right around that benchmark. Hendon is well below. He's half of the benchmark, and then Stroud is you know one quarter of it. The other reason why this is getting a lot of hype is because Brock Purdy apparently scored really, really high on the S2. So it's got people kind of whipped up like, oh, dang, we need to pay attention. He had the highest S2 score among the 2022 rookies. However, interesting to know, and probably shouldn't be that surprising, but 16 uh, talent evaluators, uh, NFL evaluators, were asked for their choice of who's most likely to bust of the top quarterbacks, and Stroud was third behind Richardson and Levis. They were also asked to rank their top quarterbacks on a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 basis, first place being five points, second with four, and so on. Young was first, Stroud was second, Levis was third, Richardson fourth, Hooker fifth, uh, Max Dugan was after that, then Hayner, then Tanner McKee, then Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Then asked, how would you guys sum up the collection of quarterbacks? AFC evaluator said, I would say a bit above average. There's not a bona fide guy. There's no Andrew Luck. Comparing it to Joe Burrow, Tua, Herbert, that class was way better coming out. You can poke holes in all of these guys. It's the Jordan Love class, by the way. A different AFC evaluator said, It's the most overhyped and understandably so group that I can recall. Every one of them is flawed and with so many major flaws, so I think that they all get overdrafted, and unfortunately, they all underperform. Even if they become starters, they're bottom half of the league starters. This is kind of what we've been saying for a long time. The quarterbacks and other positions, just not that good, especially at the top. But that's the thing. We say number one, but number one is relative, right? The 10th best prospect isn't a consistent thing among draft classes. The 10th best prospect, you know, three years ago could be better than number one this year. It really makes me wonder how different draft classes could be. I mean, can there be draft classes where there's legitimately just not very much talent, period? I mean, you'll get some draft classes that are just booming, and then who's to say there isn't a draft class with like 10 starters in it, period, out of 200 and some odd picks? I shouldn't say 10 starters, but 10, you know, high-end starters, pro bowlers, whatever. We always get stuck on the assumption that First round player means, you know, we have expectations. You're a top 10 pick. You should perform this way. They may not exist. What do you do if there's not, you know, we're picking at 15. What if there's five? How can you expect pick 15 to be anything if there isn't a guy worthy of pick 15 at pick 15? Somebody has to pick at 15. Well, we could trade back. Well, who's going to trade up? Who wants 15? Another guy says, none of these guys are Andrew Luck or Trevor Lawrence. Another AFC evaluator says, history tells us probably four of the top five will be busts. It's crazy. Um, again, I don't want to go each through each person because we got three different things to go through or whatever, but Bryce Young, largely positive. There's only one guy that says the size really does scare you. He says, you know, you can kind of compare it to Tua, but what has Tua done? It's a Russell Wilson came out, but was much bigger, as in like built bigger. He said he looks like a high school kid, 
but everybody else extremely effusive praise. Uh, Stroud, best passer in the class, athletically gifted. But of course, you always got that fourth scout. He says, I don't like to bring it up, but he's Dwayne Haskins. Haskins might have been uh, better than this guy. It was the -the off-the-field stuff with Haskins, the work ethic and all that, which is why nobody's making the comparison. This guy has all that off-the-field stuff. Great young man and all that. Very quiet, introverted personality. Wasn't blown away. Um, Looking at Will Levis, they they made comments about the fact that he had a big drop-off in his play, and when asked why, they said because he got real big into bodybuilding. So why on earth are you doing all this poster boy muscle bounce stuff? I have no idea why you would do that. Other scouts have mentioned that too, where he seems really tight and muscle bound. So, I mean, that, that's one of those things too, where you got to th- get the guy in your building. This is me talking now and, and talk to him and say like, look, we, we got to knock this off. You, we, we I, I know you're not going to like to hear this. We essentially control your body here. The diet and exercise regimen is what we give to you. Just like the playbook. You don't get to to read your own playbook. We give you a playbook and you study this playbook. We give you a diet, you follow that diet. We give you a workout regimen, you follow that regimen. If your workouts are are causing you to be worse, you're not doing that. Um, Other people talk about his ability in the pocket. He's poised, but maybe doesn't always make the best decisions, which I noted. That was the first thing I liked about Will Levis when I first started watching him is he would stand in the pocket and, and deliver with a guy right in his face, and I freaking love that. But that doesn't always mean he makes the best decisions. Uh, then the final big thing with Will Levis, it says teammates, teammates like him, but he's spoiled. He's been entitled all his life. He's arrogant, and that's a big deal. It is a big deal. And you get to Anthony Richardson, funny comment. Not funny. I mean, it's, it's very real in terms of his upside. Anthony Richardson, first scout, says, think Michael Vick with Brett Favre's arm. That's crazy. <laughs> Highest ceiling I've, ever, ceiling I've ever seen in a quarterback, higher than Cam Newton. Said Cam was fast, but not as fast as this kid. Cam had a strong arm, but not as strong as this kid. Says if you hit on him, oh my goodness, you're talking perennial pro bowl and all pro, but it's a big if. Are you going to be employed long enough to see it through? So nothing really new with Anthony Richardson. It's everything we've already known about the guy. It is actually kind of interesting too, because uh, Bob McGinn is a big believer in the wonder liquor. At least he likes to talk about it. But it's it's interesting to bring up because if you look at Anthony Richardson, um, he didn't score very well on the wonder lick, but he actually did fairly well, at least average, on the uh, S2 score. So again, it's not a necessarily a one-to-one correlation, although I'm sure there is some overlap. For example, Hendon Hooker was low on that and also low on the Wonderlick. But a couple of the notes compared to Teddy Bridgewater, cerebral, accurate, good touch, good passer rating, 120.4. Some of the flags, torn ACL, uh, the system causes some issues, so he's going to have a learning curve for reading progressions and whatnot. Uh, tightness in his body is going to be 26 next January, so in less than a year. Uh, not considered a franchise maker, Wonderlick of 16. One scout brought up maybe it's a good idea to draft him in the first round simply to get that fifth-year option because of his injury history. Uh, great character and a good football mind. Um, Hayner is actually another kind of Wonderlick S2 thing. I think he did quite well on the S2, but he only had a 19 on the Wonderlick, which I don't think is bad. In my mind, 20 is sort of like the baseline, but I could be wrong about that. But comps to Case Keenum and Taylor Heineke, a lot of Taylor Heineke comps we talked about yesterday. But Scout saw him as a great leader, tough and accurate, performed very well at the Senior Bowl, strong comeback ability, pass rating 107.9. However, smaller in size, limited playmaking ability, he did miss five weeks due to a broken ankle. So I don't want to get too far into the weeds here. I mean, if we end up, uh, we did cover some of these guys, but I don't want to get too far down into stuff that isn't super important. Uh, I know backup quarterback is a thing. Clayton Toon, for example, they talk about him being a phenomenal kid. 
extremely tough, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I think we've kind of gone over enough of those guys. Um, at the bottom here, they've got unsung hero Sean Clifford out of Penn State. He rewrote the Nittany Lions passing record book. Uh, he has the size 6'2", 218. He runs a 4.62, which is pretty quick. That's like the, the Hainer guys and all that are in that range. 25 on the Wonderlick. So somebody to keep an eye on. Um, Scout's Nightmare. It says the four leading quarterbacks. <laughs> Imagine the pressure. Odds are uh, two, possibly three, and maybe all four of the top prospects will fail. Bryce Young is rather, rather frail. C.J. Stroud doesn't trigger. Will Levis is mechanical. Anthony Richardson might not be able to play quarterback. So there you go. There's the quarterbacks. Getting into the uh, running backs a little bit. Uh, again, it's kind of like quarterback. It's maybe not the biggest need in the world, but certainly something that's on our radar, especially when we get out of the first round. Um, I know there's still a contingent of Bijan to the Packers people out there, which is great. But um, I think it's fair to assume that running back is certainly an option, at least somewhat later in the process. Obviously, this thing starts off talking about Bijan being the top guy. Um, he's labeled what uh, NFL teams used to label a franchise back. Maybe the last one ever was Adrian Peterson in 2007. Some other top tenors in the last 40-plus years, LaDainian Tomlinson, Jamal Lewis, Edgerin, James Marshall, Falk, Jerome Bettis, Barry Sanders, Bo Jackson, Eric Dickerson, Marcus Allen, George Rogers, Bill, uh, Billy Sims. Says that it was reflected in my polling survey. 16 evaluators. You got 15 first place votes. Only one outlier gave him second place. Equally as dominant runner-up position, Jameer Gibbs with 15 seconds and one first. So the, the, the top two are very well established, unlike some other positions like wide receiver and even even maybe quarterback, although that's we, we know the number one. I don't think we know the number two anymore. It says, as much as the scouts agreed that Robinson uh, was the best back and Gibbs was the second best, they were all over the gridiron when it came to the rest of their 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 ballots. Twelve other runners gained at least one mention. Testimony of the woodwork theory that teams just aren't sure who might advance from nowhere to notoriety and how long they might stay there. Uh, Zach Charbonnet finished third with 24 points. Kendra Miller. Kendra Miller? Who the heck is Kendra? Have I looked at Kendra Miller yet? Kendra Miller is next on the list to look at at 111. Scouts have him as sort of the consensus, I guess you would say, for running back. That's wild. Then Devin A. Chain, then Tajay Spears, then Rashawn Johnson, then Eric Gray, who we haven't watched, then Dwayne McBride, then uh, Israel Abinakada. I don't know if we watched him. Tank Bigsby is my dude. Kenny McIntosh, then Deuce Vaughn, then Sean Tucker. Scouting executive offered this glum assessment. I feel like after the first two, there's a pretty big drop-off. Another perspective, which, I mean, drop-off could still be good, but... Um, an executive in personnel said, every time I watch a back, I wasn't disappointed. This is a deep class of runners. I would say it's 15 deep. You can get one in the fifth, sixth, and seventh rounds. You don't have to take one early unless you're in love with one. That's how, And that's really how I feel about a lot of these positions. Edge is, is maybe a little bit top heavy in terms of like day one and two. I don't know. I haven't seen one that I've been in love with for quite a while, but certainly beyond the top guys. Corner, running back, wide receiver. I mean, wide receivers to the point where I, I don't know that some of the guys talked about in the third round aren't better than some of the guys in the first round. It's not necessarily the case with running back uh, outside of, you know, again, the top two, but there is a lot of that. I think, I think it's not top heavy, but it is relatively deep at some positions. Tackle might be the opposite. I do like some of the top guys, but I think it really just plummets. One personnel man said running back and pr was probably the easiest position to play other than defensive tackle and defensive end, which flies in the face of what um, Matt LaFleur said about defensive tackles, but 
I do tend to agree with running back. It sounds a little bit unfair, but people have been saying it for a long time. And again, a lot of running backs, you just give them the ball and they do their thing. One scout said pass protection is usually kind of an issue for a lot of these guys, but it's because they're not asked to do it, which again means they could be coached up. Anyways, uh, yeah, Bijan Robinson compared to Gurley, Edron James, Saquon Barkley, et cetera, et cetera. Not as fast as Bo, but he's in that class. Nothing he can't do. Blitz pickup. Most complete back. It's not entirely a consensus. A fourth scout, uh, he's not. He's he said, well, maybe back up. People are making him out to be the greatest running back of all time. He's not. He's good. He's really, really good. But he's not some generational talent. Uh, it might be better than Josh Jacobs. Probably so. But he's not overly explosive. He's not an overly tough grinder pounder. He gets some extra yardage because guys bounce off him, but he isn't a real forceful runner. I don't super agree with that. Reminds me of Le'Veon Bell, which is good. He'll be a good player. I don't see him as a difference maker. No running backs are anyway. Fair enough. Some of the other backs, Jameer Gibbs, speed back and catch the ball out of the backfield. Slick movement, multi-talented. Weaknesses kind of lately used in different areas compared to Aaron Jones, which I think I might have mentioned that. I do really like that. Wonderlick was a 10. Looking at Zach Charbonnet, subtle, smooth, effective, great feet, smart, catches the ball, fits any scheme, not a huge threat in the passing game, stiff change of direction. Uh, One of the guys says he's been kind of the heartbeat of the team for the last two years. So overall, there isn't a ton of massive breaking news, right? You got your top guys, then there's a big pile of guys that are good, but it's just a question of who you like the best. I don't really see any massive red flags. Kendra Miller had a knee injury. That's about it some low wonder licks, and, and otherwise there's really nothing. So it really just seems like a good, solid, deep group of running backs. I think, and, and again, I think that's a good thing. I think the Packers will be able to get a guy, if they want one, in the middle to possibly even late rounds, and it'll be completely fine. Again, I stand by third-round running back. Anyways, the final article here, defensive line, title, obviously, right out of the gate, does Jalen Carter love football? Oh, boy. This is also a group that I just genuinely don't care for. So you certainly hope to hear some real big positives (laughs) as opposed to just red flags. Quote here right out of the gate, there's been more mistakes made in the defensive line than any other position in the last 15 years. Uh, Steinberg, uh, at the time director of player development for the New England Patriots, the biggest reason is inconsistent competitiveness. He goes on to say nothing much has changed other than quarterback. One could argue that a defensive tackle with with dominant traits might be the most difficult to find and the hardest to evaluate because their value is extreme. Teams always have and probably always will loosen their grading criteria and reach on big people. Obviously, this much like Bijan in the last article, a lot of this is going to center around Jalen Carter. And essentially what he's saying is if, if you're one of those guys in the, 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 the early first half of the draft, you have to make a decision on Jalen Carter. Will you or won't you? He goes on to say, even casual football fans know about the tragic mid-January night in Athens, Georgia, when Carter raced his Jeep Grand Cherokee uh, track hawk against a Ford Expedition late at night, just hours after the team's parade for winning a second consecutive national championship. The Expedition was traveling at 100 miles per hour when it slammed into a power pole and killed two people. Carter lied to police about his proximity to the crash. In mid-March, he pled no contest to two misdemeanor charges of reckless driving and racing. He was sentenced to 12 months on probation in order to pay a fine, perform community service, and attend a safe driving course. Uh, somebody else goes on to say, The arrest thing and all that, you can deal with it. You can help guys get through some off-the-field stuff and mature. In interviews with foot- 15 football executives over the past three weeks, the overriding question regarding Carter is singular. Does he love football? If teams conclude that Carter does, they might select him. If they don't, they will rule him out. 
His football character is a mess, said one evaluator. You can't compromise football character. If they don't love football and they don't know how to work, it's going to be hard for them to become who they should become. Another scout said Carter had demonstrated to him during his three-year career that he didn't love football and didn't love the weight room. He can, uh, his conditioning became such an issue at Georgia that the coaches put him on a treadmill almost daily. In March, Carter showed up at the pro day weighing 323 pounds, nine more than he did at the combine. We talked about this before. They put him through some drills and he quit. He ran out of gas. He couldn't breathe. He put him through the ringer, said an executive. They were trying to break him and he broke. They said it's not a black mark, it's a question mark. They're young dudes. They've all got issues. Some of them have more than others. When it comes down to playing the games, there, um, there had never been anything criminal until recently. He does stuff that other people can't do. I don't think he'll fall out of the first round or anything like that. He's too risky for a top 10 for me because when you think of the top 10, you think of face of the franchise or second contracts. Another personnel chief gave Carter a 70-30 chance to succeed in the NFL. He said, I don't trust that he likes football. Supremely talented, immature, does it on his pace. If he loved football, I mean really loved it, he'd be an effing beast. He'll wind up being like an average NFL guy. It'll be like that dumb, you know what, from Tennessee. What was his name? Hainsworth? But, of course, he did his polling, his 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 polling, and, and Carter did emerge as the unanimous choice. Eleven others received votes, including, so in order, Brian Brzee had 38 points. Carter, by the way, had 80. Brian Brzee, 38. Keanu Benton, 28. Mozzie Smith, 26. Kalijah Kansi, 24. Keon White, 19. Uh, Tommy Adebowale, 7. Javon Dexter, 5, Zach Pickens, 5, Siaki Ika, 3, Tyler Lacey, 3, and Byron Young, 2. Anyways, let's get into it. We'll go through the list here. couple notes on Jalen Carter. Obviously, elite football player. Laziness. Love football red flags. Low sack numbers. Low volume of snaps. Brian Brzee said explosive, strong, powerful, good effort. He does have a history of injuries and he plays too high. Some scouts are just not high on him at all. If I was a scout, I would be one of them. He does have some injury red flags. Keanu Benton, got athleticism, long arms, quick, and can initiate contact, good as a starter, has some bad endurance issues, more of a flash player, which I, I generally don't like. Depending on what you're asking a guy to do, if you're talking like a mid-late round guy and he can make impact once in a while, that's pretty cool. But the problem I have with a lot of these guys is they, they end up having the best highlights, but if you actually have to watch them play on a play-to-play -play basis, they're so boring. Mozzie Smith, disruptive player, athletic, super explosive. Inconsistent motor and strain, not a great football player or athlete. Obviously, that's a different opinion. Scouts disagree whether or not he's a good athlete, which is shocking to me that scouts can't even figure that one out. Some of the quotes mention that he's stiff. Can't expect him to make every play. Guys take plays off. But when he's on, you can't block him. Kalijah Kansi, quick and explosive. Shows potential as a sub-rusher. Weaknesses, short arms, small size. Uh, scouts are not necessarily in agreement on whether or not he's a full-time starter. Couple interesting notes. He's a whirling dervish. Fun to watch, but he's so small that he's going to be a, a package player, not a full time starter. Keon White, long and explosive, strong and fast. Some of the weaknesses he's an unpolished rusher, raw with his hands. Some of the quotes uh, thought he had a tremendous senior bowl. Not very good as an interior defensive lineman and wasn't that good as an outside linebacker. That's been one of my issues with a lot of these guys is they, they're, they're tweeners. Mr. Tommy, athleticism and explosive movement are some of his strengths, along with good technician, heavy hand. Weaknesses, not elite, inconsistent pass rush. Notable quotes, he's everybody's anointed savior. His production is average. The effort is phenomenal. So, again, not going through every single one of these guys here. Did want to pull out a couple other um, kind of significant red flags here. Keanu Benton, they also mentioned concerns about his work ethic and his endurance. 
Mozzie Smith actually had some gun charges. It says, avoided jail time in January, sentenced to 12 months on probation for misdemeanor weapons charge. Quote, the gun issue was a stupid thing on his part to let it happen, said a third scout. He had also applied for the damn gun permit. So it sounds like he didn't quite have a permit yet, went out and got a gun, got caught without a permit. I don't know. Doesn't seem super serious, although avoiding jail time, who knows? It, it depends. It sounds, I guess, minor, but it's, it's worth noting he's got a gun charge. So uh, some people brought up questionable work ethic on Keon White. And obviously some of these are subjective. And I know people can get upset about even bringing these things up, but it is worth noting. Different people have different work ethics. And obviously when you're, when you're looking at projecting guys, you want to see them at their highest potential, but they're only going to get at their highest potential if they put in the maximum amount of work. And if they're not willing to do that, they could still be good players, but it's all about projection and trying to project where they are. So I'm going to bring it up and you do with the information what you will. But um, yeah, Keon White, some questionable work ethic, inconsistent performance, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Siaki Ika was another big one. Weight problems, laziness, character concerns. Some of the quotes about that. He's just, uh, uh, you know, big slug. He did post the best wonder lick at 27. He's a jolly fella, like a kid around, have a good time. Oh, likes to kid around, have a good time. I was like, that's not a sentence. I don't know how serious he gets into the game. How he dedicates himself to the game will either be his downfall, or if he makes it, I'd put him in the middle and try to hold up that middle. I'm worried if he's going to be a worker. That's my only reservation on him. Another guy said, lazy, not great character. Uh, he's a strong, well, bad word. He's a strong dude. When he wants to plug a hole, he can, but no pass rush. Somebody else says he's got weight problems. I don't know if he's 380 or 340. Weight will always be an issue. He's stout as F, but just a guy. So there's that. Jalen Redmond injuries, inconsistent performance. Uh, Kobe Turner didn't talk about him, but they also mentioned him. Just tweener size, bad body, unconventional play style, short arms. Just sounds brutal. Anyways, unsung hero, Broderick Martin, nose tackle out of Western Kentucky. Haven't covered him yet, but that could be fun. Says, good good big men always have a shot, and Martin is a massive man, 6'4", 330, with the longest arms, 35 inches at the position. He's a sleeper, said one scout. He's tough, and he's athletic. Good to know. Scout's nightmare, PJ Mustafer, nose tackle out of Penn State. His brother Sham, oh, Sam, was a Chicago Bears starting center. There you go. Says, what's not to like? Mustafer blew out his knee in mid-2021 and wasn't as effective in 2022. He also has short arms, small hands. Says, he'll probably get drafted based on size, and there aren't a ton of three, four uh, noses, and you got to pay through the nose if you want to sign an offensive or defensive lineman as a college free agent. He's a great kid, but he's really overrated. Quote from an NFL personnel executive, just a general quote. It says, when young scouts ask me what to do, I tell them, you just look at the tape and write down what you see. And when you get through it, might not make an ounce of sense. But when you read it all, it's going to make sense. I think that kind of actually makes sense for some of the stuff that I'm doing. You know, again, going through what Dane Brugler says, going through the PFF draft guide, going through the PFF grades and, and you know, looking at the personal life, the special teams aspect, all the different little aspects, what college scheme they came from and all that, and then going and watching them actually play. And a lot of times it actually comes together in one really nice picture. Okay, this is what it is. And you like it or you don't. I really should end it here, but I would feel sad if we didn't cover at least one prospect. Let's do one prospect. <laughs> so not a ton of new comments. Kind of hard to keep track of them all, but it looks like the only guys that we have right now that are uh, times two as far as comments are Daniel Scott and Israel Abanikanda. Another option would be Kendra Miller, who we just mentioned was next on our list, and apparently some people really like him, as in like scouts have him as the number, what was he, number three or four running back, I think. But we'll stick with your requests. 
Uh, Israel is the highest on the list as far as, uh, you know, people when they're coming up in the 190s, I think. Yeah, right before. So it's uh, Israel, then Yoshivas, and then Bryce Ford Wheaton. So we're going right in that line. But let's do it. Running back out of Pittsburgh, number nine on the list here. Israel Izzy Abanaconda, 5'10", 216 out of Brooklyn, New York. 20.5 years old, really young. Youngest of three kids, born and raised in Brooklyn to Nigerian parents. Followed in his older brother's footballs, uh, footsteps. Started playing at age four. Began work with a personal trainer at age seven. So yeah, family ain't messing around, dude. Hooking you up with a personal trainer at age seven. A kid's eight, dude. I should get him a personal trainer. I'll have his sister do it. Side, side note, my daughter took my wife to the gym, and they showed me some videos of what they were doing, because I guess that's what you do is you take videos of it, but I've, apparently my daughter's been doing some stuff. I thought she was going to the gym and just like, I don't know, doing some dumb machines. Well, she's over there deadlifting and squatting. Like, what the heck are you doing? She's hardcore, dude. Yeah, I'll have her start training my son. I dig it. It's kind of just a proud parent. I did that when I was a teenager. I thought it was dope. Started working out around her age. Anyways, sorry, moving on. Also, as a, as a returning back to the guy side note, I think it's super cool that his name sounds like Anaconda because that's just an obvious thing. It's like Anaconda with banana mixed in. A banana Anaconda? Bro, AI, come on. Make me a banana Anaconda image. All right, three-star recruit. Abana, uh, I can't even say it. Abanaconda, number 13 running back in the 2020 recruiting class, number two in New York, considered offers from Duke, Purdue, Rutgers, Syracuse, Tennessee, decided to go to Pittsburgh. His father, Saidi, and mother, Miriam, were born in Lagos, Nigeria. Saidi moved to the United States in 84 to attend Georgia Tech, where he was a sprinter and the Yellow Jackets track team, later joined the football team, despite no experience. After returning to Nigeria, Saidi met Miriam, got married, started a family. Israel's older brother, Michael, who was born in Nigeria, was a walk-on defensive tackle at Temple in 2012 and Buffalo 2015 to 2016. Abanaconda decided to opt out of the 22 Senior Bowl. Two-year starter at Pitt, uh, featured weapon and offensive coordinator Frank Signetti Jr.'s balanced run attack. It was a pass-heavy offense under Kenny Pickett and former coordinator Mark Whipple. Pitt dedicated the offense to the run game in 2022, and Abanaconda responded with a career year, finishing number two in the FBS in all-purpose yards. That's pretty cool. Overall, Abanaconda doesn't have the contact balance desired for a featured NFL back, but he is an instinctive runner with outstanding vision, burst, and runaway gear to be a productive part of a committee backfield. His development as a blocker and receiver will also determine his NFL ceiling third, fourth round. Probably said it before, I'll say it again. I love the position we're in with running back because it doesn't have to be a big deal. Now, you still want to look at long-term and all that stuff. But we're, we're Right now, we're talking about a number three running back. By the way, 4-4-4-40 time, a lot of fours in there, posted at his pro day. He didn't do much at the combine, but at his pro day, he put up the 4-4-4, 41 vert, 10-8 broad jump, 4-3-2 short shuttle, 7-1-4-3 cone. PFF, really not a fan of the guy. Number 16 running back at 174. Player comp, they have Joshua Kelly. Where he wins speed, what's his role, project speed back, where he can improve running style. They gave him a 90 rushing grade, but a 51 receiving grade. Uh, 88.9 in zone, 80.4 in gap, 61.1 blocking. Overall, Abenaconda looks the part of an NFL back physically, but is unpolished for an NFL game. He just turned 20 years old in October, though, so there's hope for development. He did, by the way, do a little bit of special teams work as a kickoff returner. Uh, he had seven returns in 2021, uh, 12 in 2022, grand total of 19 kickoff returns for 432 yards, 22.8 average, one touchdown. This past year was down to a 19 average, but you know, that's a thing. Uh, his two years as a starter in Pittsburgh, 80.2 grade went up to an 88. His 87 rushing grade went up to a 90. 
5.3 yards per attempt went up to 5.9. And of course, again, they went from a passing attack to a rushing attack, 651 yards up to 1426, seven touchdowns up to 20. So that explains why he kind of burst onto the scene there. Uh, I do like the consistency. I also like the fact that he got better as the season went on. The worst part of his season was the beginning. 60, 60, 60, 80, 60, 90, 70, 70, 70, 70, 70, basically is how he ended. So there's the two 80s in there, and then it's like all high 60s and then all low 70s. Of course, as usual, his absolute worst PFF graded game is the only game I have to watch. It's unbelievable how often this happens. It's so ridiculously frustrating. But anyways, I guess YouTube would be, again, YouTube's fine with running backs, but I still want to watch this. So first of all, it's a Banaconda, not a Banaconda, which is sad. Still can work with it, but it's sad. So I watched his worst game against West Virginia, and I just said, I don't know, man. There's just nothing here. And then I watched his best game against Virginia Tech. And when I say his best game, let me read the statistics to you. 37 rushing attempts, 322 yards, 8.7 yards per attempt, Six touchdowns, zero fumbles. The fact that he had an 89 grade is staggering. <laughs> that is uh, that is a stat line you don't often see. And it's hard to not fall in love with the guy. Now, he's not going to be up there with the upper echelon top guys as far as the guys that I like so far. But again, you cannot watch the Virginia Tech game and at least not put him on your yeah, I like him board. Here's the biggest thing. First of all, he's 5'11", 216. He doesn't look it. To me, he looks like he's 5'9", 190 pounds. But that's a good thing because, again, being short but also 220 pounds gives you some some juice. Now, I don't think he used it very often. There are a couple of plays where you can kind of see it. But the fact that he has it means that there's some potential that that could be a real thing as far as him having some power. But also, you get a smaller guy, 5'11", who can hide behind those offensive linemen, and his biggest thing, and they are using the the outside zone, stretch zone, wide zone, whatever, whatever the heck it is, I don't know. Offensive lineman starts running laterally, that's what I know. Now, if there's nothing there, he's not really creating anything. He doesn't have that sort of Aaron Jones, tank Bigsby kind of mentality. Doesn't have the power, doesn't have the elusiveness. I don't think he has the vision or the creativity or any of that kind of stuff. He's kind of a, uh, um, he's going to take what you give him, but if he sees daylight, that guy is shot out of a cannon. 4-4-4, he might as well run 4-2-4. So, um, you know, if, if there's a little bit of a hole there, he's going to fly through it and get, you know, similar to A.J. Dillon where he's going to get you extra yard. This guy's going to get extra yards based on speed, whereas Dillon's going to, you know, he'll get you the three and then he'll power forward for four or five. But then, of course, if there's a really good looking hole, this is the guy that can break one. Hence the six touchdowns that he had in this game. Now, I doubt he's going to outrun everybody to that extent. This isn't Virginia Tech. We're talking about actual NFL defenses here. Granted, the Bears defense may as well be Virginia Tech, but that's a separate issue. <laughs> I'm kidding. I just, I got to take a shot. I can't get, I can't finish the episode and not take one shot. By the way, can we do one more? I'm having too much fun. We got a lot of ground to cover. Let's do one more. Maybe. Maybe we'll do seven more. I don't give a crap. Do whatever I want. You can leave whenever you want to leave, man. Free country-ish. I do need to get packing that after dark started, though. So we'll do, we'll, we'll see. But we're going to do Daniel Scott next because, again, that was the only other guy that was requested twice. But Daniel Scott, we got another safety here. This is uh, safety number 11 on Dane Brugler's board out of California. Six foot, 208 pounds from Pasadena, California. 24 and a half years old, our first red flag of the day for Daniel Scott. He has an older brother, grew up outside of L.A., participated in multiple sports, basketball, surfing that whole thing. 
Three-star recruit, Scott was a number 110 athlete in 2017, 154 recruit in California, zero Division I scholarships. Apparently, the California defensive backs coach, Gerald Alexander, attended one of his basketball games and extended a late offer that Scott accepted. How does that happen? First of all, what is he doing there, unless he's specifically scouting him? But why would you scout a basketball game? And what did he do in that basketball game? He just freaking bodying people out there on the basketball court? Just intercept it. Intercepting passes? Maybe. I don't know. His father, Dwayne, played college football and had several NFL tryouts before medically retiring because of his knee. He got a degree in sociology and a graduate certificate in business administration. Two-year starter at Cal, rotational safety under Justin Wilcox's zone-matching defense. Overall, Scott has better traits than tape. Needs to become more buttoned up in several areas, but NFL teams are always searching for rangy, quick-footed safeties with his skill set. His versatility on defense and special teams will be an attractive selling point on draft day. Fourth and fifth round grade. He did run a 4-4-5 at, uh, at the Combine. Uh, 39 and a half inch vert 10 8 broad jump 417 short shuttle 6753 cone and 22 bench press reps uh pff big board doesn't even have him on it but looking at his pff grades first of all pretty solid special teams grades uh, he's been there five years his grades 60 75 68 8 69 and 71.5 and yes when i tell you that's pretty solid then that's pretty solid that's better than what most have and just the fact that he's done it a ton. Uh, grades, wildly inconsistent from year to year as well as week to week. In fact, they're almost pretty terrible week to week. But um, basically played four, well, he's been there six years. The first two years, he uh, accounted for 18 total snaps. So we can throw those out. The next two years, he's basically a backup, 135 and 169. And then the last two years, he's been a starter. So let's look at the last four years. It's been 66, 75, 82, 66. So it was going straight up, and then it tanked this past year. His tackling grades have been bad pretty much every year, 57, 54, 52, 59. Run defense has been average, 65, 60, 60, 59. Coverage is where he makes his money, but again, it took a step back. It was 64, 83, 89, and then 67. But it gets worse when you look at his week-to-week. He did end with a strong three games, but let me run through the games real quick. 50, 60, 60, 80. 50, 60, 60, 20, 40, 70, 80, 70. So there's that. He gave up 391 yards, three touchdowns, but had three picks, four pass breakups, 90.9 passer rating. But we got one game to watch, and as usual, how much you want to bet, second worst game that he played, a 42.2 grade. Just freaking money. Safeties, I don't really have any options. I'm not going to YouTube to watch safeties and corners and all that stuff. There's no way. Can't see anything. Same with wide receivers, by the way. Watching wide receivers on YouTube is stupid. They're off the screen when all this stuff happens. Anyways, here is where I'm at with Mr. Daniel Scott. I I, I want to say I love the upside because in coverage, which, which is this whole thing, right? The coverage grades are great. The tackling and all that is not. The coverage, I think, can be phenomenal. There, there's a... Most of the time, they threw away from him, which was part of the issue. And again, remember, this is one of his lowest-graded games, obviously. But there were a couple times he went flying in there, and I thought he did a great job. So I think, in time, he can be a great cover corner. However, there's still the issue of run defense and tackling. I don't see, as I've said with a lot of these guys, that willingness to go after him. He plays like a corner, which is what I'm going to keep calling it. That corner mentality of, I cover... I don't tackle, right? Occasionally, if I have to, if he's right in front of me, boom, I'll go get him, right? He, he, there's a play of him. They, they, 
what I've learned is DBs love those wide receiver screens. That's that's when even I don't want to say cowardly, but even the corners that don't show that like a desire to go attack, that's when they like it. Right? Not looking, not paying attention, just a standing still target. I'm gonna freaking go right for the ribs, man. He's got one of those, knifes past a guy, brings him down, wraps him up. Good play. But you see a running back coming up the middle. Is he charging down to come after? No, he's not. Nope. So th- there's limitations even if you acknowledge his ceiling, and there's no guarantee that his ceiling is going to be there. Some people are just inconsistent in their play, and he's one of those guys. So low floor, relatively high coverage ceiling because, again, the tools, but I don't think you can teach that sort of, again, that special teams, I don't care about my life mentality. So that's where I'm at with Daniel Scott. I think if we drafted him, I'd look at it and say, hey, that could be pretty solid as far as finding a guy that can cover. Again, the, the measurables seem fine, but I do think that there is a a ceiling, and that comes along with the physicality. And that's not to say that you can't teach to you know wrap up and tackle better or something, just to kind of compensate at least a little bit for the lack of aggression and just play smart, fundamental football. But um, yeah, considering we're talking a significantly later round guy, again, PFF didn't even have him on their their board. We're at like 200 overall on the consensus board. I don't hate Daniel Scott, but there's a, there's a long way to go to get him to be in halfway where you want him to be. But anyways, I'm going to go ahead and leave it at that. The plan for tomorrow is to, pending any big news or any other stuff that I find, by the way, feel free to send me anything if you see anything. It's kind of hard to keep track of so much going on, and I'm all wrapped up in trying to do all the stuff that I've got going on. So if you see any good stuff, be sure to send it over to me, and I'll, I'll add it to my bag so we can talk about it. But the plan tomorrow will be to cover more prospects, so find those on Patreon, on Twitter, on in the fa- Facebook draft group, the Facebook uh, Packernet page, Packernet group. It's everywhere. Leave a comment. Maybe tag me just in case because some of that notification stuff gets a little bit lost. And I will try to go back and find it, and we'll cover some of those guys before the draft comes. And I cannot believe that that's this week. I'm freaking out. I'm excited. Have a good day. I'll talk to you tonight. Bye-bye.